Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. In my experience over a number of engineering leaders is whether or not they're a good engineer is totally orthogonal to the actual role. And in fact, someone that's deeply passionate about a particular architecture, technology, or approach can be very damaging because you have a power asymmetry in the team. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of EOC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Our team is hard at work preparing for the 2020 ELC Summit. So this week's episode is from one of our community's past events, featuring a conversation between Martin Casado, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, and Sonal Chakshi, editor-in-chief at Andreessen Horowitz. Martin has had a long career of engineering and tech leadership. He was the founder and CTO of Nasira, which was acquired by VMware, then was the SVP and GM of networking and cybersecurity at VMware, which he scaled to over a $600 million run rate. He spent the early part of his career at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, working on networking, cybersecurity, and large-scale systems for the Department of Defense. Sonal built and oversees all of Andreessen Horowitz's editorial operations, including showrunning and hosting their podcast, A16Z. It's one of the top business podcasts out there, and we highly, highly recommend it. Prior, she was a senior editor at Wired and led content and community at Xerox Park. Martin and Sonal discuss all of the dynamics of what makes a great startup VP of engineering. Enjoy the conversation with Martin Casado and Sonal Chakshi. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for doing this and for being here. And thank you for that introduction. That was really fun. Our session is supposed to focus on hiring a VP of engineering at startups. But I wanted to throw a big framing caveat out there, which is that I think the phrase startups is really broad, obviously. These days, it applies to a company that could be a year old to eight years old. It could be a company that is small to large enterprise size. So it's not just size or how long it's been around. I think maybe a useful way to think about it, and this is good context for the conversation, especially given Martine's background, is a company that's being built under conditions of high uncertainty. So before finding product market fit, or pre-chasm, as Martin likes to say. He's actually written a lot about this topic, riffing on the Jeffrey Moore concept of crossing the chasm and startups that are pre-crossing the chasm. So that's some important framing context for this conversation. And one more thing before we get started. The introduction was amazing. The big thing to also think about is that Martin has seen this from both sides of the table. So someone who has hired VPs of engineers as well as sits on a lot of startup boards and oversees how they scale their engineering organizations, which is something a VP of engineer does. So 
that's the vantage point, and we'll bring that uh, into the house. And I'm going to just get started with the first question. Perfect. <laughs> it's, this is about hiring engineering management, but we're focusing, obviously, on hiring a VP of engineer. But regardless of what we call it, because in a startup, it might take a while to hire a VP of engineer. What's the number one misconception that you've seen when it comes to people either hiring a VP of engineer or how they think about it or how to add value as a VP of engineer? So from a startup perspective, so I sit on about 12 boards now. I've done two startups. I've involved in probably 25. I think the number one mistake, and probably if you're going to take one thing away from this entire talk, is not taking it seriously. Not and taking the VP of engineering job seriously. Not taking, not taking the role seriously. And, and let me put maybe just a little bit more of, of nuance on that, which is, listen, you know, Sonal and I know each other and have known each other for a long time, and we're going to riff on a bunch of stuff, and we have a bunch of opinions, and some of it's right, and some of it's wrong, and some of it applies to you. <laughs> They're not wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're always right. And, and a lot of it won't apply to you. Um, but that's one arc, and that's one perspective. And one thing I've learned over the years is, listen, there's not one organizational model that works. There's not one definition of VP of engineering that works. And the point of this is not to say any of that. We're going to tell you kind of like how we viewed it and what we've experienced. It's not meant to be categorical. Yeah. But one thing that I will be categorical on is it is so often that startups view the VP of engineering as kind of an overhead role, and they don't take it seriously, and they don't define it. And there is no split between what is a CTO? What is VP of engineering? What's the difference between an engineering matter? What's an engineering leader? And that, I will say categorically, maybe one of the few things I'll say categorically, is a recipe for disaster. So if you take one thing away from this talk is, if you're starting a company, if you're in an early company, having a VP of engineering there is very important, and having a good definition of the role is incredibly important. Yeah, so then on that note, given that is the one categorical thing you will say, let's dive a little deeper on that. So if it's perceived as overhead, if a lot of the people in the room are not already VP of engineers and want to add value as a VP of engineer, what is a way to do it? Because honestly, when I hear you say that, like if I were founder at a startup, I'd be like, why do I need to hire a VP of engineer? I can just crowdsource all the estimates for when this is going to run from all the engineers in the room. Like, why do I need to add another layer of management? So how do you prove the case that this is the value that these people in the room are going to bring? I'm going to approach that question from what normally happens in mm -hmm. a startup, and then we'll back into it. So what normally happens is, listen, uh, take my example. Like, you know, I, I pop out of Stanford. All I've done is technology. I'm kind of a poorly dressed PhD student. And I'm like, oh, OK, like, I know technology. Therefore, I know how to like, run an engineering shop. I hire some engineers. We do some work. It's a total mess. And oh, maybe somebody needs to be a leader. So we kind of look around the room. And we're like, hey, this person seems to have leaderly qualities, and like, you're now VP of engineering. And then that person doesn't know what they're doing. They don't know how to recruit. They don't know how to hire. And then you've got a steaming mess after about a year and a half. So one thing to think about a VP of engineering, whether you're existing a VP of engineering, whether you want to be one or you want to hire one, which is it's very difficult as a startup to grow a VP of engineering, it's very mm -hmm. difficult. And it's certainly difficult to do it on your own dime, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's what I would recommend, and I want to get back to what it means to be a good VP of engineering. So what I have seen work very well is, listen, there are these kind of stone cold killer VP of engineers that have shipped product, know exactly what they're doing, <laughs> and they learned that on somebody else's dime and made mistakes on somebody else's dime. And your ability to get that and pull that in will change the nature of your company. Because what do VP of engineers do? They set process. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about a lot of this today. They hire. Hiring is incredibly difficult to build a cohesive team. They set culture. They set deadlines. 
they make good trade-offs, they do people management, many things that actually engineers and certainly myself don't know how to do. So we will flush out kind of the role as we go today, but it's very important to realize like, it's hard certainly from a startup perspective to grow these things, and mm -hmm. you can, but I would say it's much better to bring this uh, expertise from outside. So that's funny because that's like the build versus buy version of the question <laughs> right, in technology, yeah. but we're talking about it with human talent here. Yeah, yeah. And you're actually arguing to build, not build, but to buy essentially, yeah, yeah. bring it in from the outside. Yeah, yeah. But I want to push back a little because sure. in a startup in particular, and this is where our session is different from all the others, again, condition of high uncertainty, sometimes someone who has that kind of experience scar tissue can be a little bit of a naysayer. And if the important job is setting culture, what if there's someone who isn't as flexible and has so much scar tissue that they don't know how to roll with the punches and this product that keeps changing. Like, how do you deal yeah, yeah, with yeah. that? So one of the most common questions I get from early founders is like, how do I vet a VP of engineer? What are the things? Mm -hmm. And like, actually, I don't know the answer to that because so, like every company is very different. Like some companies are militaries and some companies are communes and you don't want to get a military leader in a commune or someone yeah. with a commune. <laughs> and like, these are just like fundamental cultural things. But there are two things, two things that I look for. One of those, I definitely know if you're looking for an engineering manager from the outside, it's way better to evaluate their team than the person. Oh, interesting. I mean, what can you really accomplish in a half hour interview? That's gonna last for 10 years of a company. It's very difficult. And so pretty much generally for executives and particularly for beefy of engineers, when we did our evaluation, we would actually talk to team members, we talked to the teams and we looked at the throughput of the team and much less about the skill of, of the specific VP of engineering. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I would say. You definitely, as you're pulling somebody in, I think that's the right way to think about it because ultimately that's what you're buying is a team, not a person. I mean, ultimately. And the second thing is, in my experience, for a startup, the best VPs of engineering, and they could be directors or something else, a different title, but when they come in, they have the following experience. They have experience in a large company, meaning that they understand the processes, they've shipped product, they've seen it happen mm -hmm. before, they get it. But they also have experience in a startup. And they have both of those, or if, for example, if you're looking to be a VP of engineering, you can get both of those. It's incredibly powerful because it's weird for someone that was like, say, at Cisco running 600 people to walk into a startup with five engineers and look around the room and realize like that's everything between them and unemployment. And so to understand that cadence and understand that unpredictability and to know that they'll stay in the seat is very important. That's actually very helpful. So then on that front, if you say the team is really important because culture is important and they have the ability to attract and retain talent, that's great. So you can evaluate the team. So now I have a kind of a controversial question, which is, does a VP of engineer then need to actually be a good engineer? Can they be a crappy engineer and just a really good team leader? Here's where we're going to move more into opinion, because I think many things work. But I'll, I'll tell you my experience. In my experience over a number of engineering leaders is whether or not they're a good engineer is totally orthogonal to the actual role. And in fact, someone that's deeply passionate about a particular architecture, technology, or approach can be very damaging because you have a power asymmetry in the team. What do you mean by that? And by what I mean by that is let's say that I'm the VP of engineering and I think I know the way to architect the product. But listen, I'm not piped into the nervous system of the code base because I'm off doing VP of engineering stuff which involves PowerPoint and email and whatever. Yet. I can't let go of the days when I was the architect. So the problem is, it's okay, so I go into the room, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna enforce my will because I'm like this great architect. 
It's very difficult for a team to say no to a direct boss. I've worked with VPs of engineers that were phenomenal engineers. I've worked with VP of engineers that were terrible engineers, and they were both good. But when it's gone wrong is when I've had a VP of engineering in my experience where they were too opinionated about the actual technology choices without being piped into the nervous system of that. And so in my experience, these two things are actually orthogonal. However, I, I do feel personally for the organizations that I run, it's very important that the VP of engineering is not an architect, is not an engineering leader or a strong engineer in their current capacity, or at least is sufficiently self-aware to not create this asymmetry which is so damaging to these types of teams. So beyond the asymmetry, and, and let's probe a little bit on the concept of architect, because I actually don't yeah. know what you mean by that, but I'm sure that everyone <laughs> in this room knows what you mean by that. So design has become really top of mind for a lot of folks, particularly as we see this new wave of companies that are very design-centric yeah. and design leads. And of course, engineers work with product management. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. should a VP of engineer really cultivate, so they don't have to be an architect, right. but how should they have a design perspective? Like, is being an architect a bad thing? Like, how is it a bad thing? Here's how I always thought about VP of engineering. There's basically two things that you evaluate VPs of engineering on. The ability to ship code and like the ability to like maintain a good team. I mean, that's kind of at the highest level. And these two things can actually be at odds, right? Which is you can like drive a team really hard, have real low morale, have like high churn, you get something shipped, but then everything falls apart because everybody left. On the other hand, it could be all bean bags and foosball tables and you never ship anything and nobody cares, but everybody's really happy, right? <laughs> And so... No company intended <laughs> in that description. <laughs> right? And, and I mean, it's interesting, especially for new managers that don't like having hard conversations, that you have these teams where, like, everybody's happy and they love, like, the leader, but they actually don't get a lot done or they don't make the hard decisions. I think to first order, that is the job description, and we can talk about what that means. To second order, there are a lot of things that VP of engineers can weigh in on, which I don't think is getting into the details. I think it's important. Things like tech debt, which we can talk about. But another one that I've learned that very good engineering managers that have seen it before that actually have material impact at startups, they weigh in on the following discussion. So in my experience and myself, engineers like building arches. Arches, like actual like arches because they're beautiful and because they're probably the best for like weight bearing and it's the most elegant solution. But the problem with an arch is it's only finished when you put the keystone in, right? <laughs> so you like do all this work and then you got this thing. And I've found good engineering managers will bias processes towards boxes or eichlers, right? They're like, so it's not making an architectural decision per se, but when you see a trade-off happening in the organization, they'll be like, you know, it'd be nice if we could ship something in the next two months, as opposed to the next three years, we can get some material feedback and go forth, whatever. So actually injecting practicality into the process. And so I say, to first order, it really is just about you ship code, you keep a team well, the code is good. To second order, there are areas where I think they should go in. To talk about the architecture, I don't think you should be architecting the product. I do think you can weigh in on trade-offs like that. Interesting. So build boxes, not arches. Build boxes, not arches. Because I don't <laughs> like, Eichlers are just very rectangular yeah. houses. Eichlers, not right. like the Sistine Chapel. Right, so. right. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. 
These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Then going back to sort of the design role of engineers, just in the entire org, where do you see the ideal configuration and sort of balance between product, sales, and engineer? It seems like these are constantly in some kind of a, a constantly rotating orbit around each other. Yeah. Where does the role yeah, bleed yeah, in? Yeah, where yeah, should it yeah. separate? So what, one thing I, I feel like I have learned over the years is that pretty much most organizational structures work in companies, right? Who reports to what and this and that. You can make most of those things work. But when it comes to product and engineering, there's kind of an exception, which is... And this is particularly in vendor world, maybe less in like large consumer company. But if you're shipping product, and especially product to B2B in the enterprise, product management as a role normally represents kind of the customer on in, which is what features do we build to dislodge the next dollars and how do we prioritize? And that's kind of the role of product management. And so it's a representative of the market. Where engineering is representative of the capacity to build and ship code. And as we all in this room know, there's a natural law of engineering physics, right? It doesn't matter how much you will it. It only takes so long to build something. And so that is an incredibly natural tension point in any product organization is between PM and engineering. One is representing the market. The market wants this. We should do this. Let's get it out. Here's a roadmap. Here's a priority. And oh my goodness, we're overloaded. Engineers can't do this. We've had too much technical debt, et cetera. And if you don't have that tension point, really bad things can happen because you can have basically the wolf watching the hen house, right? If it's, for example, if PM is running engineering, then of course they're going to overpromise in the field and assume code is magic and everything's going to come out. On the other hand, if you have engineering managing features and roadmap, the opposite can happen, which is we will never ship anything because nothing's ever perfect. And so in the organizations that I did, I made sure that tension point existed in the organization and that one didn't have undue control over the other because that's a very unhealthy asymmetry in a number of companies if it's not managed correctly. Now, that doesn't mean the same person can't be over it. I'm just talking about roles and responsibilities. That's fascinating. It's actually like how people separate auditing and accounting. (laughs) No, that's right. like you have to have, yeah, the wolf in the hen house. That's, that's great. You mentioned morale, and I want to ask you a question about that. Because what if, just as you're optimizing for a certain type of engineer who builds boxes, not arches, where do you stand on the spectrum of morale versus, like, output, like productivity? And, I, I mean, I, I just, you can't have everything in one person. So yeah. what do you optimize for, and how should people in the room think about where they should play their hand as a skill set? <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's... Tough question. Yeah, I mean, I'm not actually not sure I've got a strong opinion on that. I mean, I think you want to optimize both. And, like, depending on the context, I think, listen, if, I mean, right now, there's a massive negative unemployment rate in engineering, massively negative. And in certain areas, it's 300%. I mean, it's just ridiculous, the amount of open jobs versus the talent to do it. Yeah. And so talent is such a premium that mm-hmm. I actually think that more than I've ever seen it, and I've been in Silicon Valley for 20 years and involved in this stuff for 20 years, I've never seen it where like talent is so critical. So I would say I'd, I'd wait more towards actual team management before. That's what I was going to guess too, because it's a but, very competitive environment. Oh, there's a but. I want to well, hear well, this. No, 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 it's, not, it's, not, it's not a but. I just think, that, yeah. I think this is a good opportunity to make a point, which is, I mean, um, again, many of you work with VP of engineers or are VPs of engineers. And so you understand that I think it's just really good to highlight 
why the role is so different than engineering with this question, which is, so what's a hard thing of keeping morale high? Like I was joking about bean bags and whatever, but that's actually not what being a manager is, and that's not the hard issue of people management. So what's a hard issue of people management? One of the hardest issues is actually people's expectations of themselves versus their abilities. Mm. Like a real manager will look at somebody who thinks that they can be a leader and say you're not a leader and keep that person. It's one of the hardest things about being a manager, like that EQ, that understanding to tell people that actually, you know, that dream that you have, like you're not going to achieve it, but I'm going to help you achieve the dream that you're good at. Mm -hmm. Now listen, am I good at doing something like that? No. But there are VPs of engineering that are phenomenal at that. And like the skill set that can manage a team like that yeah. and maintain a team, these are classic things. I mean, that's what you should be optimizing for. That's great. I would even argue that this is true beyond Silicon Valley because as every company becomes a tech company, essentially, which given software rating the world, you know, one of our phrases, that's a really important consideration. I mean, yep. that's the way yeah. the future is going. So just to ask a couple of few quick last questions because I think we want to take some audience questions. Yep. Let me do these kind of lightning round style. So I'm okay. going to ask you a quick question <laughs> and then get you to give me like a short answer on it. So how should people in the room think about a specific secular trend? You know, you mentioned technical debt. How should aspiring VPs of engineer, VPs of engineers, or people hiring VPs of engineer, working for VPs of engineer, where does technical debt come into all this? This is going to be a, a little bit longer than a That's lightning okay. answer, but I think I'll it's a very <laughs> important one. Okay, so listen. So I was a GM of a large organization, which means I had PL, I had sales and marketing and RD and post sales and everything, whatever it was 1,200 people in the organization. Where do you think the majority of the L, the money, went in? The majority of the money went into RD, the majority of this 1,200 person organization. What do you think I had the least visibility into? R&D. R&D, right? <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, sales. I've got Salesforce, marketing. I've got Marketo. I knew every deal, every dollar. I mean, you know all of these things if you're running an organization. I knew finance. I knew my bank account. You know everything. But in R&D, you're like, what are you guys doing? Eh. <laughs> 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 you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, what are you working on? Eh. <laughs> um, and so I would actually say step, and by the way, this is a whole, I think this is going to change in the next five years, but I think it's so incredibly important to have engineering analytics. And so mm. when things like tech debt, for example, and a lot of these other questions about how do you manage the engineering process, step one is literally have an accounting and understanding of what's going on so you can address the situation. The best run engineering organizations that I work with have a, actually a relatively good understanding of what people are working on. And those that don't, yeah. and I think tech debt falls straightly within that. So like when they do it, it's a conscious decision and it's logged. But the broader thing for me is like engineering analytics, I think are actually a big deal. And more and more, we've got tools to manage these things. I actually then want to just jump to some of the audience questions because one of, a couple of them, actually all of them go along this line of thinking, which is a couple of things. What are the KPIs then or the key performance indicators for measuring the performance of a good VP of engineering? Or how does the experience of the VP of engineer as it pertains to product engineering, like metrics, yeah. like how does that sort of play into this anal engineering analytics thinking you're having? I mean, I know it's kind of yeah. a so, random question. So I'm, I'm going to give a very high-level answer, which I, I really think it is like ability to forecast, ability to hit those deadlines, and then ability to ship quality code, and then, of course, maintain the team. I will make the point that after me, Yan Bing is going to be up here, which I think is like one of the best VPs of engineering, like the history of technology. And I think you should ask her questions about being a great VP of engineering and what KPIs she holds for VPs. Of, yeah, I mean, she's a GM now. Um, so I think that she would be in a much better position to answer that question. That's and so 
tee that up. By the way, that's my favorite thing about you is that you say what you don't know and what you would want someone else to right, answer. Sure. I just I'm love just, that. <laughs> I'm embarrassed talking <laughs> about these. I that. I love that about you. Again, so another question that the audience has, and this is related to one of the questions I wanted to ask you as well, is what are some of the ways, because one of your really key areas of expertise, given your own career arc, is hiring and scaling. Like you went from a tiny two, three-person startup to being like a huge general manager at a huge company yeah. with like a billion-dollar run rate, over billion-dollar run rate business. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. So how does the VP of engineer scale themselves as the company grows? Yeah. I mean, this is a whole... This is a whole topic, and, and I won't dive into it, but I think very few people, and it's also one I think you should ask Yan Bing if you get a chance to, because it's so difficult and it's so nuanced, which is the, the question of middle management with VPs of engineering, or with, in engineering organizations. Mm -hmm. The simple answer is like it is engineering management, like below the VP of engineering, which is mm -hmm. middle management. It's an incredibly difficult thing to get right, particularly because so many, I mean, normally you want to do this internally, and Having engineers take the transition from IC to a manager is one of like mm -hmm. the most unbelievably difficult Aikido moves in all of life. And being able to manage that process is very important. And so I mm -hmm. do think that understanding that this is a real thing and you don't just kind of promote people is important. And this is a first class problem for you to, to think about. It's great. Well, that goes right to another question, which is so. Again, when you think about scaling, when, and we wanted to talk about this as well, when should we bring in, whether a startup, or when should someone in this room apply to a startup, or pitch them, like, I think I could be your VP of engineer, when is the right time? I mean, here's my view, is as soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, like, like I mean, You what, gotta what, give us something more than that. Well, no, okay, so, so what is the primary function of the VP of engineering? The primary function of VP of engineering is to build a team. So if you can, like, oh, basically, if you can basically hire in expertise to build a fantastic team that's been trained on somebody else's dime, mm -hmm. and they've done it, and they've got a bunch of connections, and they already have an amazing team, they know the great people, like, why wouldn't you do that? The problem is it's not always possible. You know, you may not have the comp structure or like you can't attract a good VP of engineering, mm -hmm. but I would say if you have a good candidate and they are a good fit and they're willing to come, I would do it as soon as possible. Literally right. first few employees, mm -hmm. but they have to have the remit of you build the team quickly and there has to be enough funding in the company to do it. If there's not enough funding to actually support it, which is more of an issue of funding than timing, then of course you wait until you have the funding to do it. But for me, it's, you know, you get them in as quickly as possible if you know what you're building. Now, listen, if you don't know what you're building, you condition know, you're of high uncertainty, jungle, you don't have the money, you don't need a VP of engineering, but as soon as you, it's time to scale. On that note, we've talked a lot about what a VP of engineer does, hiring, retention, culture, managing deadlines, having conflicts with the product management. What are the things they shouldn't be doing? Well, That's I a question from the audience, by the way. So, I, I mean, I, I talked about some of those, and so maybe I'll just reiterate it quickly. Like, I, in my, again, this is from my arc. This is from my experience. I don't think a VP of engineer should be an architect. I don't think a VP of engineer should mm -hmm. be telling people how to write code. I don't think a VP of engineering should necessarily be, like, choosing language. I don't think a VP of engineering should be deeply responsible for the product vision, right? I mean, I think a VP of engineering is primarily about the things that I said before. And it's so common that we see someone becoming a VP of engineering because they've just basically been around the longest, and they don't really think of that as a first-class role. And I think that can be very damaging. On the other hand, on the other hand, there's some phenomenal VPs of engineering that are all of these, but they're sufficiently self-aware that mm -hmm. they can manage the team great. And it can be a beautiful thing when that happens. But for your minds, your mental model should be that these are distinct roles. Now, if one person can carry them out, fantastic. But that has to be a very special person. 
That's great. One of the audience questions, and I want to actually push back on something you said, which is that you think the VP of engineering shouldn't be responsible for product vision. <laughs> but that's literally one of the questions as to what degree. And I want to argue with you about it a little bit, because you said earlier that the VP of engineer is more than just a logistics delivery person. They are responsible for being strategic and yeah. battling with the product manager and having that tension. So what yeah. degree of vision should they be involved? I mean, if they're a strategic person, yeah. they're not just like the hands and, and the CTO is the head. That would be obnoxious. Oh, the CTO is the worst, man. Right. <laughs> like, and we can talk about the CTO, forget too. Forget the CTO. Like, <laughs> you are a CTO, so yeah, we can yeah, talk about the CTO. Eight years of CTO, man. Like, right. don't, don't let the CTO do anything. I mean, But then um, who is responsible? Because they're responsible for these deliverables. So to what degree should they play a role yeah. in a product vision? So I think in most, in most companies... Okay, let, let me take it from my perspective. So, yeah. so very often, people come to me and say, oh, Martine, you see a lot of companies. Like, do you think this product would do well or not? And they're basically asking me about product market fit. And I'm always like, dude, I have no idea. Because the only way to find product market fit is you're piped into the nervous system of the market and the tech trends and the competitive trends and the customer. And if you're piped in that nervous system and you're there for six months to a year to two years, maybe you'll find it. And then you'll actually know what to build and who wants it. I mean, it is hard finding product market fit. It is hard, and if that's not a full-time job, like your intuition isn't good enough. Like very few people can just sit and intuit like what the world needs and what it wants. I mean, you basically throw yourself against a market to find it out. And so listen, I think anybody should have input on a product, anybody. Mm -hmm. And a VP of engineer is somebody, so they should have input. And they may even know the constituency. If you're selling to developers, they're a developer. Mm -hmm. Are you selling to engineering managers? They're an engineering manager, they should have input. But unless that's your full-time job, I don't think you can just conjure up what it means to have a product. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do that, make that your full-time job. And so listen, of course you're an executive. Of course you have an opinion. Of course you're smart. Of course you should have input. But it should not be weighted more than others who are actually responsible for doing this. Again, my opinion. That's fair. So then I have one last question, yeah. given that we started with your background as a CTO, <laughs> and you basically just dumped on the CTO <laughs> and the role and how they work with the VP of engineer. How should people in this room think about engaging with the CTO? What's the most yeah. constructive way to have a balance? Like, what is the role of the CTO, and what's the best way to work with the yeah. CTO as a VP yeah. of engineer? So I, I like making fun of CTOs because I was a CTO <laughs> for so long. But here's my issue with the title CTO is it doesn't mean anything. So I'm on 12 boards, like I mentioned, involved in 20 startups. Like the CTO means something entirely different in each one of them. Sometimes it's an engineering manager. Sometimes it's a chief scientist. Sometimes it's someone internal focus. Sometimes it's the evangelist. Sometimes it's sales. Sometimes it's like, I mean, it's like, it's just such a hard thing. Of, of yeah. any title, I think, any title across in technology, the CTO is the most alluded to basically uselessness. And this is from a CTO. <laughs> right? And so, and so... And so my view is, listen, A, I think we should just dispense with the title altogether, just get rid of it. I think it's like in Silicon Down Valley, with the CTO. we should never Love say it. CTO. And right. I think we should actually provide a specific title on what people do. What they actually this do. This is an evangelist. This is, this is like a super SE. This is an architect. This That's is a great. scientist. And then once you do that, all of a sudden, you know how they should interact with the VP of engineering. That's the best controversial opinion I've had all night. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this okay. session. And Thanks. thank you. Martine and Sanal shared some rapid-fire hot takes about becoming a startup VP of engineering. Here's a quick recap. Why are VPs of engineering so valuable? VPEs set process, they hire, they build cohesive teams, they define culture, set deadlines, make trade-offs, and do people management. They do everything. 
internally growing into a VP of engineering at a startup is hard. Startups prefer hiring a VPE from the outside, someone who's learned and made mistakes on somebody else's dime. What makes a VP of engineering successful at a startup? Vice president of engineering can really mean a lot of things. Make sure that your role is clearly defined. Being hired as a vice president of engineering means the company is buying the team you'll build. Your success is measured by your team, not you as an individual. Ideally, you have experience at both a large company and a startup. You will be evaluated by your ability to ship code and your ability to maintain a good team. Other KPIs include your ability to forecast and hit deadlines. Engineers, they want to build arches, big, beautiful, complex structures. Good VPEs inject practicality into the process to ship code and product. Do you need to be a good engineer to be a VP of engineering? No. In fact, having strong opinions about tech choices can lead to power asymmetry and decision-making problems in your teams. The solution is to become self-aware of your limitations so you don't overstep. Finally, we're going to wrap up with a few of the vice president of engineering don'ts. Don't try to be an architect. Don't tell people how to write their code. Don't choose the coding language. And product vision is a full-time job. Provide your input. Don't try to lead it. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.